take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 20. We're continuing on in our passage in our series here on the Ten Commandments. And, and, um, and the ushers are coming forward. They have Bibles. They have notes. Uh, they have, uh, they don't have, in fact, I, I hope that some of you will have after today one of these great little harvest notepads, something great to be taking sermon notes down. I encourage you to have a pen, be taking down notes. I'm going to be giving you lots of scripture today, and you're going to write down references. You'll see things up on the screen, but encourage you to, to do that. You can buy one of these journals for $10 and bring it, put your name in it so you, we don't get them all mixed up kind of thing, but encourage you to be studying God's word throughout the course of the week. Use that as a journal or, or whatever it is that, that you might want to use it for, but a, a great thing to, to bring on Sunday mornings along with your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible and you, you want to take that Bible home with you that, that you've received or that's available at the back, that's our gift to you. We want to get the Word of God out into the hands of people in our community because the Word of God changes lives, doesn't it? Because it is the Word of truth and, and ignited with the Spirit of God, watch out. And I pray that that will, in a great way, God would do a great work in our lives here today. This week, there's a developing story in Saskatchewan, in Prince Albert, in a courtroom of a couple, a suspecting wife, secretly recorded her, uh, on a recording device, in her house, um, when she went off to work. So she set it on record. Is there a picture of that, of, of the news story? There we go. And, um, and, and the recording not only confirmed that what she suspected that her husband was cheating on her, but it also allegedly revealed that her husband and his lover were planning an elaborate scheme to kill both of their spouses so that they could be for, forever together here on this earth. And, and, and so they had a plan to poison one and burn the other house down and, 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 and do something along like that. And, and so they're in jail um, or, or they're on trial right now facing some very severe sentences sentences. And whether or not they are convicted or not, uh, we, I mean, obviously don't know uh, where, where the real truth is in all of this, but you are left just shaking your heads, wondering what they were thinking, shaking your heads just even at the ugliness of adultery. And both of them, I read one article this week how they said it started with unhappiness in their marriage, and that unhappiness led to an emotional affair that, that they had with one another that led to something more, something more, and now to this ugly mess where they could be facing some jail time. What a mess. And all of us here in this room have probably, in one degree or another, have been greatly affected, disappointed, hurt, in one way or another through adultery and through sexual immorality. And what we're going to talk about here today, I'm sure all of us can identify in one way or another with what we're talking about. Our society today is spinning out of control in the area of sexuality. And, and Psalm 119, it starts, part of the passage in there, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a middle-aged man keep his way pure? How can a... a Middle-aged woman, a young woman, how can a, regardless of the age, how can you keep your way pure? By being in the Word of God, and the Word of God has answers that will lead us to purity in our lives and in our relationships. And so we have this Exodus 20, verse 14, and, and here it is, it's, it's very short, uh, our passage here today, but we're going to look at a bunch of other scriptures. Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. 
In the 1649, there was a version of the King James Version that was reprinted. They reprint translations just as they do today, and, and they took the old version, they reprinted it, but they left out one word in that Bible. It is now referred to as the Wicked Bible. You can actually go online, you can research this for yourself. It's called the Wicked Bible because they left out one word, and that one word was here in this passage where it ended up saying, thou shall commit adultery. That caused a scandal. Those Bibles were burnt, but some of them, of course, made it out. You can still buy one today. $100,000 approximately, you can buy a wicked Bible that will tell you, you shall commit adultery. I'm sure some people would really enjoy having that in their hands, but it is available today. The, the, the people responsible for it were fined, uh, fines equivalent, equivalent to a lifetime of salary, banned, lost their license to ever print anything again. Their lives were destroyed were ruined because of that one little mistake. Just see the seriousness of some of this. But throughout the entire Bible, you see a pattern here. Now this command, thou shalt not commit adultery, is a command that explicitly forbids having sex with someone who you are not married to. Or if you are married, this forbids you to cheat on your spouse. But is this all that this command forbids? What about other forms of sex outside of marriage? Is that okay? This command doesn't seem to cover that. So is the rest okay? And we just kind of turn, turn a, a negative tone towards adultery. No, what we see throughout the whole of Scripture, starting in the book of Genesis, we see that marriage is exclusively for one man, one woman, united together for life. That is what we see from God's word when it comes to, to marriage. And throughout the word of God, we see another pattern. We see what God has to say. You see, so oftentimes we just think adultery is, is for the married and not being unfaithful in, in the marriage commitment. Yet this command is so much broader than that. This is more than just someone cheating on their spouse. The whole of scripture, we see that this command encompasses the truth um, of all sexual experience, and God's word gives us the realities of, of where we land on this. The Greek word that is used for the word for fornication or immorality is the word pornea. Where do we get the word, and where we get the word pornography from? So this includes throughout the whole of scripture, when you see the word sexual immorality, fornication that you see in the Old Testament, the New Testament, this means the forms of sexuality not limited to, but including these. There would be others that I'm probably not getting into. But this includes prostitution, homosexuality, premarital sex, incest, bestiality. And in Matthew 5, you can write down, we're gonna, th 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 that's going to be something we're going to look to a little bit later on. But in Matthew 5, Jesus even included fantasizing about having sex with someone you are not married to as having adultery within your own heart. And this all, these are all transgressions against God's law and God's design. But listen up, like this, this may seem like a super heavy sermon and, and, and I just told the people, make sure it stays cool in here because it's going to get a little hot and heavy today because we're going to be talking about some good stuff, right? We're also going to be talking about some things that, that aren't so good. But this command is not just simply about what the word of God prohibits. This is even more so what the word of God affirms when it comes to sexuality. And what it, God's word affirms is amazing. It's wonderful. 
My kids will probably cringe when we talk about this subject here today because to hear their dad talk in a way about sexuality like this, I know for me it would make me squirm if my, if my father talked in this kind of a way. But what we see in all of these things that I've listed, these are transgressions against God. And yet God has something precious. He has something, he, this is a command to protect something that is so precious, something that is to be enjoyed and that is so amazing, but he gives us the boundaries for which we are to enjoy this. This command is about the joy and the beauty of sex between a man and a woman who are married together. There is life, there is joy, there is meaning behind these commands. And what these commands affirm is how one pastor put it in what I was reading this week. He says, instead of having it as a command that says, thou shalt not commit adultery, it should read more like, thou shalt have great sex. This is a command to have that. Now, some of you might blush and get a little uncomfortable, um, and yet these truths are truths that need to be claimed. You proclaim, because you think on this screen, week after week, day after day, that everything that I'm talking about is basically the opposite about what you see and what is portrayed, what is laughed at, what is lived out, what is fantasized about here in this room or in our TV screens or on our phones or, or on our computers or what we read in, in trashy novels. You know, and so we have to, to realize that this is something beautiful. And the first thing I want you to remember and to know that marriage, then sex, are precious gifts from God. I heard you to write that down and I'm going to have you write down a number of things and uh, you may want to take extra notes even beyond what I encourage you to write down. God's beautiful, this is God's beautiful plan right from the beginning. Marriage, then sex, are precious gifts from God and they are God's beautiful plan from the beginning. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. And look at Genesis 1 and, and, and then Genesis chapter 2. So you can uh, turn there. As I, I'd, I'd love for you to follow along in this. And, and then get ready to just, when you have a moment, also put your finger in, in Proverbs chapter 5. Um, and so in Genesis chapter 1 right now, uh, first, first chapter of the Bible, we see this in verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice God created them. It says male and female. That's taken a beating in our society today. It's not a choice that gets decided somewhere after in your teen years or in, 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 in your younger years or older years or whatever it might be. God determined that when we were, when we were first conceived. Male and female, no guesswork, no decision needs to be made later on in life as far as what gender that, that you are or want to be. It goes on to say, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I come from a family where there's six kids, and I'm the second oldest, I have an oldest sister, and so for years I've always bugged her that even though she is older, I am biblically the firstborn in our family. And so it's always driven her nuts when people say, well, who's the oldest? I say, well, you know, biblically, it's me. You know, and oh, you know, she, even if she listens online, this, it will bug her, so that's partially, partially maybe why I even say that. But um, love you, Gaylene. Anyways, one of these things, we had six kids, and, and I'm, I'm, you know what, I, I'm, you know, it's, biblically the firstborn, and as the kids continued to come along, we had the most number of kids out of, you know, what, families in the church. We are the largest family in the church, and, and I remember one young buck came up to my dad after number six was born, after my little uh, brother was born. He says, you know, Harold, the Bible does say in Genesis to be fruitful, to multiply, and to, to fill the earth, but Harold, you have to remember that he didn't give you the whole contract. 
you know, and, um, and so he laughed and we continue to laugh about that sort of thing, you know, and, and so God has given us something amazing. When he created Adam and Eve, he wired them to be able to have and to enjoy sexual intimacy together for oneness, for relationship, for enjoyment, but also to, for, for new life, to procreate. Think about it. This is God. He could have just like, you know, could have had the husband just come up to Eve and like, you know, uh, poke her in the belly button and say, you're pregnant, you know. But no, he designed procreation to be fun, to be amazing, to be something that, that is, is to be cherished and, and, and appreciated and looked forward to. Remember as a, as a teenager, I mean, just, just praying like crazy, knowing, especially in 1988 and, and 89, there was this book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988, and a lot of Christians seem to get kind of hooped up over that, and, and it's kind of interesting because God's word says the day and the hour is not known, but, but for some reason, this guy seemed to have an edge on that, and I was just like, oh Lord, please do not return. Do not return until at least I can be married and, and enjoy some relationship with a wife one day, just, just look, something to look forward to, something that God has given to us. And so write, write this down. Marriage is about commitment and connectedness. Marriage is about co commitment and connectedness. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. You're going to underline some things in your Bible because someday you're going to come back to this and, and, and then you'll have it right there. You remember, What were those important words about marriage that, that's being totally bashed today in our society? Genesis 2.24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here we see God creating man and women, uh, uh, and, and woman, and they are naked in the garden. There is oneness with one another and with God. There was this closeness, this intimacy that they were able to enjoy, naked and not ashamed. It was beautiful. It was close. It was intimate. It was perfect, the way God designed it. And God gives them sex as a precious gift to man and woman to be in a covenant relationship with one another. Look at that word. encourage you to underline the words, hold fast. Hold fast and then also underline the word in your Bible, one flesh. Hold fast and then the words, one flesh. Hold fast speaks about the commitment. It speaks about commitment in marriage. I love you and I'm going to love you anywhere through thick and thin, for better, for worse, till death do us part. That's what it means about commitment, about holding fast. And I know that today, sadly, there are marriages that break down. We see that in our society. We see that within our own families, within the life of the church. And biblically, there are biblical grounds for divorce. And, and, and so we're mindful of that sort of thing. And yet we live in such a disposable world, don't we? You know, I mean, even from coffee, K-cups now and different things, we just, you don't make a cup of coffee, toss it aside. Don't think it, it's a big deal. When my mom was raising those six kids, you know, and, and she started out, I'm doing cloth diapers. There, there was such a thing as these disposable things, but, and there wasn't even a care about the environment back then. It was just a cost thing and, and just felt it was better on, on her kids' back ends, you know what, for that sort of thing. So my mom 
mom did cloth diapers. That was gross, that was dirty, that was disgusting because in the bathroom was the diaper pail and that thing would collect and it would collect in water and it would be pretty disgusting. Even when she'd do laundry, it's like, oh, you know what mom's doing today. I mean, it was a disgusting way to do it and yet it was work, it was commitment, but she was committed to that sort of thing. Finally, by number six, she was doing disposable diapers, I believe. And yet, it's one of those things that now today, we just are, are, are so disposed. We just dispose things if we don't want them, if we don't like them, just get rid of it. It's not a big deal. Sadly, we are doing that in relationships. We are doing that in marriage. And we have to be mindful that, that there are biblical reasons why a marriage needs to dissolve. Um, back just a number of weeks ago, I was talking to a lady who I know in the city is not a part of our church. Um, but when she described the different things that were going on her, in her life, I walked away from that situation saying that is one area where there is biblical grounds for, for her to divorce that man that she is married to. It's sad when that sort of thing happens. But we live in a world today where we can just easily toss it aside. A number of years ago, a relative of, of mine was at a, a, a wedding, and there the couple gave their vows. They wrote their own vows to one another, which is kind of cute and whatever, I guess, that sometimes couples will do. Uh, don't be offended if, if I was a little sarcastic with that, if you wrote your own vows. Don't want to be like that. But they wrote their own vows, and then they gave a copy to everyone, and I got a copy of that. Couldn't find it this week, but I have it somewhere in my filing system that needs work. But it was basically these, these vows, these commitments that they made to one another that basically had it so they had one foot out the door. It was, you know, I will love you for this season of life, but it may not be for the next season of life. And it was some poetic and some nice kind of thing, but basically they were going into the marriage with one foot out the door already. Marriage is about commitment, about holding fast through difficulties. We are just even currently just, just walking through um, the loss of a family member uh, just, just recently in our own family who, who lived through a very, very difficult marriage. Not an easy family life. And she held fast. She stayed committed to the Lord and committed to her family even though it was very, very tough. And I believe that when she was welcomed into heaven, it was with well done, good, and faithful servant. And she is experiencing God's blessing and God's joy in her life. Even though here on earth it was difficult. There's this connectedness that we also see. So that's commitment. We see hold fast, but then a connectedness. We see one flesh. Hope you've underlined that in your Bible because there we see the two becoming one. And this is so much more. This is why sex is so much more than just a physical act. The Hebrew word for, um, for a sexual encounter, for marital connectedness, translate into the word dod, which is D-O-D, which means a mingling of souls. That the, the sexual intimacy just isn't this physical contact that happens. It is a mingling of souls. It is, it, it is physical, but it's also spiritual. It's emotional. It's mental. And marriage is a commitment that has commitment and it has connected to us. I don't have time to go into all of this today, but marriage is actually a shadow, a mirror, a picture, whatever kind of word you want to use in there, of our union, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's something mystical, it's something hard to figure out, but it's something that is real, that is, is to be personal and intimate and, 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 and very, very connected, but also strong commitment. This is saying, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. I love your body. I love your mind. I love who you are. And you're finding soul satisfaction in one another in a covenant commitment with God. 
Again, God's design is one man, one woman for a lifetime to be able to enjoy amazing sex together. And yet, sexuality is an amazing, amazing gift from God. And we're not to be prudes when it comes to it. Puritans in the 16th and 17th century, and there are still some there today, that would even basically say that, hey, you know what, sex is basically for procreation, and that's simply all that it's good for. And they tried to, almost legalistically, tried to, to kind of enforce sexual purity and, and, and to not stumble into area of sexual sin, and so just don't do it, just don't do it. It's for, for procreation and that's it. The only problem with that kind of thinking is the Bible. God's word has so much to say about this, and this is where Proverbs 5 is so amazing. You can also then get your finger into uh, Song of Solomon chapter 7, because we're going to look at that in a moment too. But God's word has much to say about this, and in Proverbs 5, we have a father giving advice to his young son, and he warns them about the lure of adultery, about the dangers of adultery, about going after someone who you are not married to. And in verse 15 is where he gives some, some really good instruction to his son. And listen, in, in Proverbs 5, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. This is someone who loves his wife for a lifetime that is enjoying a relationship with his wife sexually all throughout their married lives. There's pleasure, delight, satisfaction, oneness, a mingling of souls that takes place. And then you have the book of Song of Solomon, great wisdom. This past week I read a quote from Dr. David Jeremiah who says, no one could say that the God who inspired the Bible frowns upon sex when you read the book of Song of Solomon. It is a love letter. It is a guide to marriage, to, to sexual love within marriage. And in chapter 7, in verse 1, you read this, and here we see the intimate talk between a husband and his wife. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is rounded, is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Now I'm going to stop there, and you have to understand this needs some contextualization. That was, that was erotic, erotic talk back then. For us um, men, don't take some of these lines that you read here and, and put it in a poem or a card for your wife. You know what? Telling her that her, 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 her stomach is, is, is that of a heap of wheat, yeah, that might not just go very well. But it goes on, and it gets a little more, whew, as you continue to read here in, in, in Song of Solomon uh, chapter 7. And, and, but here we see the beauty and the passion that God has given to us. And, and that sex is not just about self-gratification, it's, it's a giving to others. And sexual intimacy, we see here, it's for marriage. And that it is to be savored and enjoyed for a lifetime. And so the Bible, young people even here today, you need to hear this, that the Bible wants you to enjoy 
great sex, but it's with a husband, it is with a wife, it is in marriage, and God has given that to us, and anything else cheapens it and ruins the precious gift that God gives. Now, there's healing, there's forgiveness, yes, 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 and we're going to get to that. But we have to remember that adultery destroys this precious gift. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God's beautiful design that he gives. But in Genesis chapter 3, we see where Adam and Eve wanted control. They wanted to do it their own way, be their own God. No one's going to tell us what to do. We're going to do our own thing. God says, do this. No, we're going to do that if we jolly well feel like it. And we see that kind of pervasive attitude even today in society and when it comes to authority. And one of the areas where that is lived out is in human sexuality. And one of the greatest ways that Satan will use to destroy our passion for the Lord, our oneness in family, in, in marriage, as well as family units, and that is through sexual sin. And so that's why we need to hit it head on here today. And adultery and sexual immorality destroy the precious gifts that God has given. That is why sex is all over the place in society. It's so pervasive in all that, that, that we see. I mean, they use it to sell everything. I mean, even watching The Price is Right, you see, um, back, back in the day, I remember when Bob Barker, back when I was a kid watching it, it was, it was very attractive women that they had in there in bathing suits. Now I noticed we watched a version of Price is Right with some of the Survivor cast this past week, and, and now they even have um, beautiful men with their shirts off and, and showing their, their six or seven packs or whatever they have. I mean, it's just like, whoa, you know, and, and just using this kind of thing to, to sell a bar of soap, you know, and, and, and you see all of this in society. You see it in culture, in media, in movies, in the cultural attitude and pressure that is out there. It's all around, and it's basically saying if you're not having it, and if it's not great, then there's something wrong with you. And you, you got to get, you know, you got to get with it. It's so ironic and sad that people can come out and say, you know, that they are a homosexual or that I'm a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body or whatever it might be. And, and it gets celebrated and you turn them into the man or the woman, I don't know what it is, of the year. And, and you give them awards and, and say, whoa, you know, they're so brave. They come out in this way. Then when you have a guy like Tim Tebow, a, a football player, or Colton Dixon, a, a pop singer, say, hey, I, my plan is, is to remain a virgin until married. They're laughed at, ridiculed. They're kind of, you know, well, what's wrong with them? Something mustn't be wired quite right there. You know, and, and so, you know what, they can be laughed at and maligned, and yet the others are celebrated. There's a man in our church who told me about his co-workers and how many of them often, regularly, probably multiple times throughout the course of the year, will commit adultery when they go away on business trips. They, as soon as they, they get into the new location where they're at, they're on Tinder. They're, they're hooking up with, 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 with other women. And, and they don't see it, though, even though they're married. They don't see it as adultery. They don't see it as cheating because how they justify it, how they claim is, oh, it's just sex. I don't love her. I don't love her. It, it, I love my wife. I love my girlfriend. But, but this is just, just physical contact. What it does is it cheapens and erodes and destroys the beauty and the oneness what God has created it for. And not only are we to give ourselves to, to our partner, to our husband or to our wife, physically, there's also the spiritual, the, the mingling of souls, what I've talked about. And when we have multiple encounters with multiple partners, they receive a part of you that can never be given back to you. 
you receive a part of them that they can never get back because it is that, that mingling together of souls, and we'll see that a little later on. And so there's great lingering effects to this. When it comes to, to what you see on television, the sexual plots and, and plot lines in TVs and movies and, and trashy novels, 10 to 1 of them involve sex. Whenever you see a sex scene in, in any of these kind of things or it's written about or um, viewed on, on, on the screen, 10 to 1, it's outside the covenant of marriage. When asked the TV producer as to why this is, he said it's more interesting and exciting. That's where people can connect and, and kind of go into a fantasy world on their own. And oftentimes we don't recognize it because it's become so normative in what we see and what we read. Last year, Playboy, at the end of last year, Playboy magazine, the editors announced that they would no longer be printing nude photos in their magazine. Instead, they were going to concentrate on, on, um, on, on articles. Because isn't that why men would buy it anyways? Or isn't that the excuse that was often given and, and, and joked about for many years? Um, this, however, is not a victory for morality, not at all. Rather, Playboy has admitted that, that um, they have become victims of their own success. That Playboy CEO said that, that with pornography only a click away from every sex act imaginable, their magazine has become irrelevant, so they're going to focus now on, on higher quality articles. Hugh Hefner's plan to bring porn into the mainstream of society, it worked. It worked really, really well. And the floodgates have been opened, and now society is drowning in it. And we just see that, that there's more money generated in the porn industry today than the revenues of football, baseball, and basketball in the United States combined. Think about that. More revenue generated in the porn industry than the top three sports. Probably throw hockey in there too because it's a small thing compared to some of these others. There's more traffic to porn websites than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And today, the focus of the porn industry are 8 to 10-year-old children. To get them hooked, get them hooked early, get them hooked young. And this is no longer a male struggle. Before, this was more of just a, a guy thing. But the fastest growing of users of porn today in fantasy, fantasy material are females. Fifty Shades of Grey being, being a, a prime example of that. And instead of deep, intimate connection with other human beings in the blessing of the covenant marriage that God has, has invites us to be a part of and to have in our lives, we are settling for the lesser because it's easier. It's a click away. The other takes work. It takes dedication and sacrifice and giving, but it, the rewards are amazing. Porn is becoming a public health problem. Secular government agencies in North America are recognizing that there is a great danger that society is, is experiencing now because of the eroding values, but also how it has affected the minds of young people and especially young men, that they're not able to perform in, in the bedroom any longer without being able to view pornography because their, 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 their wiring has been, been so affected in their brain. It's affected the neurons of the brain. It rewires it. And, in, and, and become more and more incapable of relationships. It's like a wildfire that's burning out of control. It's never satisfied. We think that, that, that it will bring satisfaction, but it doesn't. It just leaves you wanting more. That is why things that were considered softcore porn a number of years ago, or hardcore porn a number of years ago, are now considered, it's considered softcore pornography. It just continues to cycle deeper and deeper. It's a serious thing. 
And so it is something we need to be very careful of. And, and young men are especially unable to properly relate to women. This is what they're starting to see in society. Objects, women become objects of pleasure for self-gratification rather than to be cherished. It dehumanizes the others, humans in our lives. And so you can turn in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at a number of verses there because we have to see what God's word says on this. This isn't just, just simply some stats and different things like this. This is a serious thing, but there's life. There's life. Hold on to the end because there is good life and, and, and there's hope and there's freedom and there's healing available to all in and through this. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here Paul is talking to a very messed up church in Corinth. And I, I think in many ways, the church in Corinth is very much of what we are experiencing today in North America and even within the church here in North America today. And so here Paul gives, gives some, some um, solid words here. In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And Paul is speaking this to, to some very messed up people. And without Christ, Anyone, all of us in this room, if it wasn't for Christ, we would all be guilty, 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 dead in our sins. We, as we heard at the men's breakfast as we're studying First Peter on Friday morning, that we're dead men walking without Christ. That we're dead in our sins, we're guilty. But when we meet Christ, and, and I mean fully and truly meet Christ, not just as an add-on, just not a, as an app on your phone, just, yeah, I've said this prayer, I'm kind of, kind of got one foot, you know, w w with Christ, you know, I kind of went through, did a few things, and, uh, you know, now I'm good, and now I can live my life however I want. No, that, that, that's not what it means to, to have Christ as the Lord of your life. And, and it's so much more than that. And, and when we come to him in our brokenness, in our sin, knowing that apart from him we are doomed, and, and we go to him knowing and understanding that we're guilty, 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 but we're alive and forgiven when we repent and when we come to Jesus Christ and we're new creations. And instead of guilty, 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 we are now changing, changing, changing. And he changes us more and more. It's hard. It's slow. We need others. We need the word of God. We need the spirit of God within us. We're not perfect but we're in the process of becoming less and less of who we once were and more and more like Jesus. It's not about behavioral modification. It's not just learning to, to, to kind of just do this and not do this. It's, it's a change that is coming from a heart desire that is being changed and is being challenged by the word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, you can't meet Jesus and not change. That's what Paul is saying in these verses here. You can't continue in your sin. Oh, we're going to fall, we're going to stumble, we're going to struggle, and that's where we have others. That's why, as we get to, 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 to the last part here, we need others in our lives to help us. But, but, we, but if we're in Christ, we're going to hate our sin. It's going to disgust us. And we're like, I want to quit, I want to quit. Oh God, just as even Paul says, he says, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? But thanks be to God, he goes on to say. As new creations, we, we take these warnings seriously. And so we take things like what we read about, about lust and sexual immorality as we've heard it today seriously and go, ah, yeah, I'm guilty, I'm struggling, 
It's hard for me in, in this area, in that area. We need to take action. Because here in verses 15 and 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he goes on to say, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? This is for the believer in Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her in body? See, see that mingling of souls? See that connectedness that happens? You end up joining with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual, sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, sexual wounds and cuts and destroys. Sexual sin ends up doing that. And yet God brings the healing. And it's not just a, a sexual act, a physical act that happens. It's, it's something that happens inside the body as well. You see, like speeding while you're driving or, or jaywalking or lying and gossiping, those are sins outside the body. Th those are things that will affect relationships and that, but won't affect you so much internally. Uh, it affects your heart, but, but not in, in the same way that sexual sin will do that. Because that kind of sin will affect us physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And so Paul puts this into a very serious category. And so as believers in Christ, this text tells us that we are doing damage to ourselves. We're doing damage to others. And what it ends up meaning is we link the Christ in us to that of a prostitute when we are involved in this kind of immorality. Now we believe, we believe that all sin is equal. It doesn't matter. I mean, there, sometimes we think, well, this is a a lesser sin than this sin, you know, a white lie. Well, a white lie is still a lie. We believe that all sin is, is equally damning because one sin is all that it takes for us to, to be unclean, for us to, to be unholy. And it doesn't matter what that sin is, all sin is equally damning. But, but not all sin is equally devastating. As I said, jaywalking or, you know, what, speeding or stuff, it, it's going to result you in some trouble, but not in the same kind of devastation that sexual sin will cause to yourself personally and to those around you. And that is why uh, we just take it so seriously and, and, and God's word takes it so seriously. Even David in Psalm 51, he says, um, as he confesses his sin here, and he says, my sin was ever before me. I couldn't get rid of it. He, just the guilt and the shame of it all when he was hiding his adultery. It's believed he, he was hiding in adultery for a full year after he had committed. This was a man after God's own heart who got his eyes in the wrong place, who didn't have accountability in his life, who was in places and doing things that he shouldn't have been doing. He was looking at, at someone that he shouldn't have been looking to and he didn't run for help. He didn't run away from it. He ran towards it and it cost him dearly. And he says when he's hiding and covering in his sin, it was like his bones in, in, in Psalm 32. It's like when he kept silent in my sin, my bones wasted away. It was affecting him spiritually. It was affect, affecting him physically. And so we see how destructive this can be. But number three, folks, of all this, this is the good news. There is forgiveness and healing that is found in Jesus. In Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone. The damaged emotions and relationships can, can, can experience healing. 
It's not going to experience healing all the time just at a snap of a finger at a quick confession. It's going to take time and humility and repentance. But God is in the business of restoring and healing. Amen? Do you believe that? God's in the business of healing and restoring. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. I've experienced this in my own life in many areas. And I trust that for the rest of my life, I will continue to experience his forgiveness and his healing. So please hear me today. There is forgiveness. There is hope. In John chapter 8, I encourage you just to write that down. You can read that passage a little later. There's a woman who's caught in adultery. And what was the penalty for adultery? I mean, you wouldn't commit it again because you'd be dead. It was a serious thing. And they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. And what does Jesus say to her? She runs to her, runs to Jesus, and he grants her forgiveness and mercy. But he went further than that. He went to the cross for her. He died for her adultery. But he also said to her, go and sin no more. Stop it. Stop doing what you're doing. So how do we win the battle? How do we win the battle? Here's some things you might want to write down to win this battle, what we're facing. Whether it's sexual sin or other areas of temptation that we're facing in our lives that, that end up ruining our lives, that the world tells us is acceptable, the world tells us is okay, and yet we, we look at it and we see the end ruin is destruction. First of all, recognize no one, regardless of age, is immune from this battle. No one is. No one is immune from the effects of this, no matter how young, no matter how old you are. And as even as you get older, you think, oh, it's not a struggle for me, you know, and I'm not going to commit adultery. I, I don't even know how to use a computer or, you know, I, I just, you know, it's not a struggle for me. And yet it's also, it's about the renewing of the mind and the mind continuing to be renewed because one of the things, I have a sister who worked is in, in her early years in nursing. She was working in a senior's home in Abbotsford. And she says, Melden, it was, was so amazing. I remember being in awe of this and also like, whoa, this is a serious warning that she said, as, as some of the, the, the things that we have to kind of, you know, what cover over our, our area of, of, of speech and action and different things, that she saw that the older that some of these men, that especially that she was working with in the seniors' home, as they would get older and their brain wasn't working quite so well, that the things that had been stored up in their brain was now starting to come out, and a lot of that was a lot of sexual kind of stuff. And she said some of the worst people that she had to deal with, with them getting fresh, with young gorgeous nurses and, and uh, you know, and just in words and that, former pastors. Suppressed things that they knew they couldn't say in that, but they never dealt with it. Their mind was never being renewed by the word of God. We can hide it, we can cover it, but, but, but we have the truth in God's word that says we will reap what we sow. Eventually it comes out one way or another. And this is why the mind needs to be renewed in the word of God. And this is why it's so important that, that we realize that no one is immune from this battle and we all need to be in these steps here together. And so here's step number one. Realize you can't do it alone. You can't try to fix it yourself. You need the help of God first and foremost. You need his power. You need his strength. You need his healing. But second of all, you also need those around you. Those who will go to battle in prayer. Those who will go to battle in accountability for you and with you in this. We need others. Victory will come, but victory will come slowly, but progressively. Second of all, we need to repent. Come clean before God and before others. If you've been involved in, in adultery, you need to confess that to your spouse. 
You need to make that right. You say, oh, she'll kill me, or oh, he'll kill me. Uh, that was covered last week about do not kill. Um, and yet, to live with the guilt and everything for, I mean, we will work with you. We have, have some here in our church being trained as well as, as biblical counselors that, that are, are more than willing to, to work with us from our sending church, that, that are, are committed to us and, and, and to the biblical wholeness of, of relationships and of people here. We need others in our lives. You can't do it alone. We need to repent before God and repent before others. It's going, admitting to, to other men, admitting to other men, hey, I'm struggling in this area. You need to hold me accountable. You need to help me in this. Thirdly, we need to pursue real intimacy with Jesus Christ. You see, the best weapon that we have to battle this is a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. It's getting back to the first commandment about loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. When we have a passion for a love for God and a love for Jesus Christ, it puts water on the passion of sexuality and directs it in a proper and a, in a godly way. You see, what we crave, what we're desperately craving in sex, we find in Jesus. Acceptance, love, grace, mercy, oneness. Pursue him. Pursue Christ. And that's, that's, that's why we're here as a church. It's not just about a Sunday morning thing and see you later next week. That's why there's the midweek. I mean, right now we're going through this book called Passion Cry. It's about a, gro a growing passion that we have for Jesus Christ. Getting that right first and foremost in our lives changes. It's a game changer for how it affects everything in and through us. You can pick up that book if you don't have it. You can, can buy one at, at the table at the end of the service. I encourage you to be reading that. If you come to a party with the pastor, you get a free one of those if you want it. And so um, just encourage you to, to get your hands on some great material in that way. It comes through the renewing of the mind through the word of God. Psalm 119, 11 says, How does a young man keep his way pure? By storing up God's word in our heart. Another, part, another aspect is being part of the body of Christ, being in community. I've already touched on that. It's about being a part of community together, just doing life together. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is the means by which his grace and by which there's help and accountability and there's power that flows through the body of Christ. There's something about even worshiping. Something, yeah, we could worship, you know, we could all log in on our, inter, on our, on our phones. We could stay home. We could, you know, do it with all this, you know, without setup. We could do cyber church. But there's something when you are able to look around during worship before, after the service, and you see others who are in the trenches, some rejoicing and celebrating, some others weeping and, 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 and mourning, some just doing okay, and there's something powerful knowing we're in this together bunch of flawed people but we're working together we're progressing together and there's something beautiful about that and as you get to know me i'm a messed up guy i don't have it all together i need you just in the same way that you need me in time at times say even sunday mornings to proclaim the truth of the word of god do i always like what i'm saying here because it's hard but, but it's truth of the word of god and that i can stand solid and that's why we need one another Knowing there's others in the trenches battling it out rather than isolation. You can't do it on your own. You can't. We need others. We need the word of God. We need to be people of prayer standing together with one another. And then finally, take drastic action. You do whatever it takes. It might cost. 
may cost dearly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Listen to what Jesus says. I encourage you to read that this week, but Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is far better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going into hell. Now, does Jesus literally mean, Shion, stand up here for a minute, would you? Does Jesus mean, you know, Shion comes to me, confesses an area of sinfulness. Well, Shion, let's, don't move, don't move, because I'm going to, you know, and just, you know, let's do this, buddy. You know, like, is that what Jesus is talking about? You know, let, 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 let's, let's take the eye out, or here, give me your hand. You're, you know what, you've been stealing again, buddy. You know, you've been taking, you know what, from, well, I don't know what you've been taking, you know, from, uh, you, you've been, been taking from Superstore. You know, you've been batching it, batching it too long, and you're taking all that prepared food, you know. And so, so you know what, if it's causing you sin, let's, no, before, thank you. Before you go and make yourself a bunch of pirates, and we have a bunch of pirates here next week, you know, with hook arms and with, you know, aye, aye, you know, aye, aye, pastor, I did what I, you know, you, you told me to do. That's what, that's what, is this what Jesus is literally meaning, to cut out your eye, to chop off your hand? No, he's not meaning that at all. Because blindless, or blind and armless people can still lust. It's about the change of the heart. It's changing from the inside out. But what he is saying in, 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 in saying this, he says, let's get serious. Come on, let's get on it. Take serious action. Do whatever it takes. You might need, and this was in my sermon before I heard someone even talking, and I, I mentioned to him just before the sermon, I said, you need to hear what I'm saying. This is in my notes already. You may, you may need to quit your job. And trust God that he will provide. Sometimes people will say, you know, who, who are, are struggling in, in certain areas of sexual sin and, and because there's someone at the office that's there and, and, and it's just so tempting and so hard. Quit the job. Say, but, but how will I provide for my family? You're ready, you're, you're, you're willing to possibly risk your family by staying there or trust God for him to provide. Take drastic action. Getting honest and, and, and bringing it out to others of the struggle and what you're facing. Break it as neatly and as completely as possible. God will honor that. It might mean shutting down social media. If, if, it, if it means you're, you're crawling around on social media, fantasizing, looking at people you shouldn't be looking at, shut it down. Maybe it's getting some, some kind of things, devices, um, covenant eyes, different things like that to, to help with that. And yet th those, those are just... Just fences that we can put up. We can put moral fences. It's still about the heart. It's about the transformation of the heart. But sometimes in moments of weakness, these things are helpful. For women, um, my encouragement is, um, especially for women, it can happen the other way around, but it's usually this other way, dress modestly. Don't make it more difficult for men than it all is already out there. Modesty even in our speech about what we joke and what we laugh and what we talk about. Be careful about what you watch on TV and in movies and in, in the books that you read. Um, because those kind of things, the things we laugh at, becomes the things that we end up accepting. And we've got to be so careful. And we just have to remember that sexual sin, please hear this, please hear this today, and no matter where you're at in your life in all of this, it is not the unpardonable sin. There is grace. There is forgiveness. There's mercy and cleansing and healing. For all who repent with humble hearts, who are broken and honest and saying, God, 
I've fallen, I've stumbled, I, my mind is filled with things that it shouldn't, it, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's, it, it, it's just the wrong way of thinking and, and, and it, it's coming clean before the Lord in that. And I want you to know that here today, if you are a believer in Christ, he, has, he, he does not regret saving you. There's not one moment where he's like, oh, what did I ever save that loser for? That person just keeps messing up and messing up and keeps doing that. Not at all. He runs, he pursues us. But he wants us to not stay the way we are, but to be changed for God's glory. And that comes from Christ and from him alone.